Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. As of this episode airing, you have a little more than a week to finish filing your taxes. I was going to ask Chris if he's an early filer. My guess is yes, but he's out today and I did not want to cancel on our guest who traveled all the way from Arizona just to be on the New Mexico News Podcast. Half kidding. But before I introduce you formally, let me ask you, Brian, what's your earliest memory of doing taxes? Probably when I was 15 or 16 years old after working at a car wash and I received my form W-2 and my dad, who's a CPA, helped me do my 1040 EZ. It was pretty quick. And the only thing I realized is I didn't get everything back. I was like, what is FICA? FICA? Yeah. Who's FICA? They're, they're taking money from me. I got my federal withholding back, but I lost all that FICA money. So it was my first introduction. So yeah, 16 yeah. years old. Okay. At a car wash. Cool. Yes. Awesome. Great first job. Yeah. Well, okay. So you have an early memory. My first memory also was I worked at a restaurant in Texas, Texas Roadhouse, actually. People are familiar with those in Albuquerque as well, but yep, I was a hostess there, filed my first taxes. I got help at the university, actually. They helped me do them. So, But there are probably two major groups of tax filers. You either have an easy time, submit early, maybe it's because you're getting a refund, or maybe you put it off until the deadline draws near, knowing that perhaps you owe something, or maybe you're stressed out by the whole process. But aside from when you file, Filing taxes are one of those things that we all share as Americans, for better or worse, nearly everyone has to file them. This week, we have a rare one-on-one opportunity to go straight to the source and talk to the IRS. But don't worry, we're not just talking taxes. What the IRS does is multifaceted. It can be surprising and interesting, too. So our guest here in studio, who you just heard from, is Brian Watson. He's a special agent and public information officer for the IRS Criminal Investigation Division out of Phoenix. Brian, thanks for being here. Thanks for the opportunity. So some people might know you from media appearances over the years, including some interviews here with KRQE. But let's talk a little bit about your background first. Who are you? What do you do in the criminal investigation division at the IRS and what got you into this work? So I was an accounting major in college and I had plans to work at one of the big six accounting firms, but they didn't want me because my grades weren't good enough. And my senior year in college, an IRS special agent came and spoke to the student accounting society at UCLA. And I was, I knew I wanted the job as soon as he told me about it because they took down a drug organization in Los Angeles working in conjunction with the LA County Sheriff's Office. And I always had considered law enforcement, but I never really considered myself a police officer just because of my size and my general demeanor. I just never really wanted to be, you know, wrestling with a 250 pound person who's high on drugs. But this job was a perfect fit for me. And because what we are is we are federal law enforcement. We are the sixth largest federal agency, but we just happen to be within the IRS. And we do, we're the only agency that does criminal tax cases. And then we also do money laundering investigations as well. Oh, interesting. So how long have you been in this role? Uh, 27 and a half years, if you can believe it. My gray hair 
proves it. But um, I, I started young, which was, and, and I was very blessed to get this job at a young age. Not everyone gets the job at 24 years old. Okay. Has it always been in this region? No, I actually started in San Jose, California. I worked there for about nine years and then had an opportunity to transfer to Tucson, Arizona, which is part of the Phoenix field office. And I've been uh, in Tucson since 2004. Okay. So in the Phoenix field office, also New Mexico is part of your region, right? Yes. And we also have uh, Utah and Nevada as well. But as in my public information officer role, Two states I cover are Arizona and New Mexico. So I try to get out to New Mexico two or three times a year to uh, meet with media people and do interviews and things like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, we appreciate it. So what do you say to people, the deadline's coming up here in April. What do you say to people who may be like scared or intimidated by filing taxes every year? Yeah. Taxes are, they're complicated. They're tough. If you look at the tax code, it's incredibly long and difficult. I, I would tell people, um, you know, if, if your taxes are complicated and it really stresses you out, hire a professional, you know, like I don't do electricity at my house. Like that's the one thing where I hire a friend or, a, you know, an electrician, but I can do landscaping and I can take care of my pool. So it all depends on your level of comfort. 55% of people use a paid prepare. So if you want to go that route, do it. Or if you're going to do it yourself, at a minimum, use the tax software, either buy it yourself or file on irs.gov. It'll walk you through it and ask you all the questions and you'd be surprised how easy it can be. It will make sure you don't miss out on anything. For people that may think, what happens if I screw this up? Is the IRS coming after me with fines and criminal charges? What makes that difference between what becomes a criminal case and an audit? So the biggest thing is intent. Uh, on the criminal side, we are very small. We are only about 3% of the IRS. The vast majority of any sort of tax issues are handled by the civil side of the IRS. You know, my, my now deceased mother-in-law used to talk, be so worried that the IRS was going to come knocking at her door because she was missing a $10 canceled check <laughs> for a charity that she donated to. And, you know, a, a lot of people have this fear of the government and fear of the IRS. And I get it. I received a letter in the mail years ago as an IRS special agent, and it was from the IRS. My wife and I had sold a house. We forgot to include something when we sold the house. It, my mistake. And the letter came in the mail and explained the situation, made some copies, sent them in. I got a letter back saying everything was okay. I never even dealt with the person, but Trust me, I worked for the IRS and it made my heart skip a beat. But, you know, the IRS understands that people do make mistakes. So a lot of times you might just get a letter saying you forgot to include this interest income. We're going to adjust your account by this much. If you agree, you know, send us the difference. If not, you know, tell us why we're wrong. So um, the type of cases that we do on the criminal side are just egregious. We're talking about hidden bank accounts. We're talking about overseas transactions, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars of unreported income, stuff that people do on purpose to cheat others and the government. Oh, that's interesting. Which leads me to my next question. Is there enough staff within the IRS to investigate everybody who could be scheming the system or maybe should more people be audited or looked at? So on the civil side, our audit 
rate is down. It used to be 0.8%, and now it's more in the realm of 0.4%. So audits are actually extremely rare. And then on the criminal side, when I started as a special agent, we had about 3,500 special agents. And right now we're hovering just above 2,000. And we anticipate hiring up to 200, maybe 250 special agents a year, but then we lose 150 special agents a year due to retirement. So if we're at that 2000, we have enough, there's enough fraud cases, cases for us nationwide to have 3000 or more special agents. So it's going to take a while to get to that point just because for years we did not hire. So to answer your question, um, the IRS could definitely use more people. We're seeing that with our phone lines. We were able to hire 4,000 people nationwide and our phone answer rate went from 13% up to 85% this year. Very happy about that. So last year or the year prior, when somebody called the IRS and was trying to reach somebody to talk to an actual person, only 13% of calls are being answered. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's unacceptable. And, and the IRS recognized that. Part of that too was a COVID issue. People worked from, from home. We had a lot of employees that were like a lot of places scared to come in. And, you know, with the technology, it wasn't always available to do the calls from home, but uh, we were able to find 4,000 people to work for the IRS, which is pretty amazing and to train them up that quickly. So that was a very good thing, but we still want people to start with the website. It's just the fastest way. There's a lot of information you can get from the website, go there first before trying to reach the phone, someone on the phone. And you mentioned that two to 3,000 staffers within the criminal division for the IRS nationwide, right? Correct. So we have about 2,000 special agents and uh, maybe a little less than 1,000 what we call professional staff, analysts and other individuals who aren't law enforcement, but they don't carry a gun and a badge, but they do all the, the behind the scenes work that help us with our criminal cases. How many uh, agents are there in the Phoenix field division handling so, um, New Mexico and Arizona? So I'll tell you, I mean, special agents, we have less than 10 in New Mexico. We're, we're a very small breed of, you know, in the, in our Arizona, uh, we have less than 50. Um, so there aren't that many of us compared to other agencies. Okay. Online filing is very popular. It seems you mentioned, you know, things like TurboTax, Tax Act, reportedly over 90% file online. Maybe it'll even be more popular with younger generations of workers. Is there anything that you wish people thought more about or considered maybe before they went on to use these programs and products? I mean, I think the most important thing is to gather all the information ahead of time, like almost go online and see what they're looking for. Cause what you don't want people to do is rush or to guess or just make up anything The this, the stuff will walk you through it. And then the other good thing too, on all those programs, um, if, if you get interrupted, you know, the phone rings or you get a better offer to go somewhere else instead of work on your tax return on the weekend, you can always stop, save the information and go back later. But there's still liability, right? I mean, you're responsible as the filer for whatever you submit, even if you use this third party agency or product. Right. So even if you use uh, yeah, online software on your own or on irs.gov, or you hire a paid professional return preparer, that return is your responsibility. You are responsible for it. So if there's stuff that's wrong, you, you could be held liable and had to pay the difference, possibly penalties and interest as well. 
Okay. There's a lot more than just taxes that the IRS has its pulse on, as we mentioned. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll have more on scams you should be aware of, plus how to avoid problems. back again with Brian Watson, special agent with the IRS Criminal Investigation Division out of Phoenix and Public Information Officer. Scams are everywhere. They're ever evolving along with technology and apps. Can you tell us about some of the scams that the IRS investigates? I mean, it seems like they're getting more targeted and personal. Text message are one thing that comes to mind. What are some of the biggest scams that you're seeing that people should avoid falling victim to? So we are just issued the IRS Dirty Dozen, comes out every single year. It's a list of the 12 biggest scams that we see. And the ones that are always on the list, say for the last five to 10 years, is the phishing schemes, the the smishing schemes, basically phony emails, phony text messages, and they work. That's why the criminals keep doing these things and they don't cost any money. You just, they can send out thousands of these emails and they'll arrange from things as simple as you have a small refund, click on this link to claim your refund or your account's been compromised. Emails like that, um, we saw the same ones with the economic impact payments. Click on this link to claim your EIP. So the key is the IRS is not going to email you or text you. That's the easiest way we can tell people to stop falling victim to these scams. Okay, so emails and text messages with links, don't click them. No, the uh, the IRS is going to send you a letter in the mail if there's an issue with your account. And if you notice, you don't even, it, having an email account is not required when you file your taxes. Oh, yeah. Okay. They do ask for your phone number. But um, in the same thing with the phone scam, the phone scam has been going on for years, about 10 years now. Luckily, we've definitely seen a huge drop because most people are familiar with the phone scam started 10 years ago and they were targeting people who were new to the country because they were called, they called a couple of my friends who recently moved to the United States and they basically were threatening deportation or arrest or, you know, losing a driver's license. And they said, you need to pay now. And if you were new to the country and you weren't familiar with how the tax laws work, you might fall for it. Well, now they call everybody. They've called my government issued cell phone multiple times. They've called both my parents. They've called attorneys I work with at the U.S. Attorney's Office. They're basically trying to call everybody. IRS is never going to call and demand immediate payment. So if anybody remember those few things, those are the biggest scams we see. And that's just if you can delete and hang up, that's the best way to protect yourself. Okay. Ghost preparers are another issue. Can you explain what is a ghost preparer and how detrimental could that be to a filer? Anybody can prepare a return. Anybody can be a professional return preparer. You don't really need too many credentials. We're not requiring a CPA or an enrolled agent or a tax attorney. But if you take money to prepare someone else's return, the two things the IRS requires is you put your name on the return and you put what's called a prepare tax identification number. We're seeing a huge uptick in these ghost preparers. They just, they file returns. They don't put their name or the P10. And some of them prepare fraudulent returns. Some are just lazy and don't want to buy the professional software. 
but it makes it very difficult for the IRS to track returns because we're looking for trends. We're looking for common schemes and things like that. So if you get a copy of your return, whether it's digital or a paper copy, and you don't see the person's name on there and they, you paid them money, go somewhere else. Cause you have to ask why aren't they willing to put their name behind their work? It'd be like going to the mechanic and them saying, yeah, we're not going to give you an invoice because, you know, we just don't want our name associated with this work. Mm, okay. So maybe they're doing it just for the paycheck. And, the, and that's okay. They're doing it. Um, I mean, it's, it's, this is capitalism. We, 55% of tax returns are prepared by paid professionals. But the one thing we do ask is they put their name on there. That way, if there's an issue or we see a trend, our uh, people who oversee the return preparers can go out and talk to them. They do a lot of education as well. We don't, you know, not everything at the IRS is, you know, um, a punishment. We actually have people who go out there and work with practitioners and say, you know what, you know, Mr. Watson, we've seen that you've prepared a bunch of returns using this form that form is obsolete or you shouldn't be taking that credit. And they say, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. And then we educate them. So we have a whole unit that does that. And if someone is a ghost preparer, we can't reach out and do any of that education. How do you know when you've become the victim of identity theft and what should you do if that happens? So we're talking tax related identity theft. It used to be a huge problem. It's gotten a lot better. When you go to file a return, and then you get a letter from the IRS saying you've already filed and you're like, wait, I haven't filed yet. IRS does not want two tax returns from you. So it starts a very painful process of basically clearing your name. Your refund could be held up for a while, um, which is frustrating, which is another reason not to have too much withholding. You shouldn't be expecting a giant refund because government's holding your money and you're not getting the interest on it. But um, then we start a process where you do an identity theft affidavit and then the IRS will issue you a pin. And that pin is basically a password for your computer. So next year when you file, you won't be victimized again because that criminal probably kept your personal information and may try to file a fake return for you the next year. But for a variety of reasons, We've seen the number of tax-related identity theft go down. There's been a thing called the Security Summit where IRS and all the state taxing agencies combined with the software companies and the practitioners have been working together to come up with additional filters. One of them is when I filed this year, I had to put all my driver's license information into the system, and that did not exist years ago. So just little extra steps, takes more time, but it helps prevent fraud. And you've been working as a special agent for a while. Can you give us an example of maybe an interesting criminal investigation that you've been a part of that people wouldn't think the IRS would be involved in? So I got to work a lot of cases and work cases with other people as well. The one the one we did in California was the whole steroid investigation, the Balco investigation that ended up it was a guy named Victor Conti out of the San Francisco Bay Area, and there were multiple people charged in that. That investigation ended up turning into the Barry Bonds steroid investigation, and a lot of uh, there were some Olympians like Marion Jones and things like athletes like that. That started as an IRS case because we were going after them on the financial side, and the the illegal activity was the steroids. But that case started in San Jose, California. Uh, one of my coworkers was the lead agent, but 
a lot of us helped out either on the search warrants or surveillances or any of the other interviews related to that case. But a lot of people would think, wow, I didn't know that the IRS started that. And then you've seen where that case has gone, where it ended up moving into baseball, drug testing and things like that. And it's changed a lot of things. So it's definitely been some changes in professional sports due to that IRS investigation. And how, how, did that land in the IRS's lap initially, if you can share? Um, I, I can't share specifically. Uh, I just know that agent was a really good agent. <laughs> and, you know, we're always uh, looking for cases um, and we get our cases from a variety of sources. The really good agents find their own cases by networking and just working hard. You know, if you're lazy, sometimes the cases that aren't so good end up being assigned to you. But that agent was just a, he was just a really good agent, had a lot of contacts with other law enforcement agencies, and he saw something illegal going on. He saw an opportunity to investigate that case from the financial side. And that's, that's where we ended up working that investigation. Interesting. Even when I became, you know, a, a journalist, an investigative journalist, one of my mentors told me in college, follow the paper trail. There's always a paper trail should be. We like to use the term follow the money. Follow the money, yeah. And and because for everything, you just you follow the money and see where it goes and how it's spent. And you can learn a lot from that. Yeah. And before we started this recording, when I knew you were coming into town, we had talked a little bit about frequently asked questions or questions that you get asked that people are always surprised by. One of the ones that stood out to me that I wanted to ask you, not really related to the first half of our conversation, but one of the questions was who took down Al Capone? Yeah. So everyone thinks it was Elliot Ness and uh, Elliot Ness was involved in the bootlegging operation, but everyone knows that Al Capone didn't go to jail for bootlegging. He got busted for tax evasion. And for years, the IRS couldn't say, well, everyone's wrong because it was all Hollywood. I mean, there were multiple TV shows and movies with with uh, Elliot Ness being this superhero. But it was actually a guy named Elmer Irie, who was a former postal inspector who came over and was working with the Bureau of Revenue, which later became the IRS. And then there was uh, he had several good agents working for him. But Elmer Irie was the chief of that division. And they took down Al Capone. And um, years later, the IRS made a decision to release all that information. We put it on the irs.gov website. We have a, it's called the FOIA reading page. And there's a whole section on Al Capone. It even has the special agent reports and letters from back in the 1930s. It's unbelievable. Like late 1920s, uh, early 1930s, where we were investigating Al Capone. But um, yeah, it's uh, someday Elmer's going to get his due <laughs> and he's going to maybe get a movie and a TV show. But but uh, everything about Elliot Ness, it's just all Hollywood. Oh, that's fascinating. Well, is there anything else that I didn't ask you that you really feel like people should know about or you wish people knew either about filing taxes or just about the IRS? I, I think the biggest thing is to be responsive. You know, I've I've interacted with a lot of people over the years that you know, for one reason or another have gotten behind, you know, they had a business fail or they got sick or they went through a divorce, something like that. And for some reason or another, they got behind. And the advice that they always told me was, you know, just be responsive, be cooperative because the IRS employees are, are, are just looking to get things resolved. And 
they understand we come in under hard circumstances and things like that. Um, everyone's entitled to set up a payment plan and things like that. But what I don't recommend is just trying to hide, you know, just ignoring letters and things like that. The best thing to do is be responsive, be professional. The, the IRS employees will be professional to you as well. And then also just be honest, you know, and you know, if you're a small business person, pay your taxes, don't try to run personal expenses through the business. I've seen that too many times where a small business owner will just run personal expenses through thinking, well, I'll never get caught. Well, then they ended up, turns out to be a lot of money and some of those people go to jail and it's just not worth it. You sleep much better at night when you file an accurate return. Mm -hmm. And just to get back to basics of this whole conversation, why is it so important to file a tax return in the U.S.? Well, it just, it funds everything our government does. I mean, the IRS collects 97% of all the money that comes in to the treasury. And, um, you know, some people like to say, you know, if I'm paying taxes, that means I'm doing well because I'm making money because not everybody in this country pays taxes. You know, we have a progressive tax rate where the more more you make, the higher percentage of taxes you pay. A lot of people at the lower end um, don't pay income taxes. They only they pay employment taxes, but they may not pay actual income taxes. But it pays for all the you know military and our roads and funding for certain projects for schools and national parks and there's just a whole myriad of things the taxes pay for, and it's part of being the citizen in this amazing country. Any surprises people should be aware of on this year's filing? The only thing I've really heard, uh, there's just two things. One, um, refunds are a little bit smaller overall, just because all those economic impact payments have cycled through. But there's a question everyone's going to get asked this year. It's You're going to be asked if you had owned, sold, were involved in any digital assets. And that's a question everybody gets. Last year, it referred they add question about uh, cryptocurrency, but the question this year has been changed to be a little more broad. So digital assets also includes the NFTs and some other technical things that I can't even explain that well, but it's basically kind of to think of it this way. It's kind of putting people on notice that if you're involved in cryptocurrency or NFTs or other digital assets, there may be a tax implication to those things. Some people think, oh, I don't have to pay taxes on this. It's virtual. No, you do. And if you're not sure, do some research, talk to a professional, because we don't want people to be audited later on and say, well, I didn't know that that was taxable. But it's a question everyone is going to be asked on their return this year. Well, thank you, Brian. Appreciate you sharing your time and your knowledge with us. Well, thanks for having me. It was fun. Thanks again to special agent with the IRS, Brian Watson, for sharing his knowledge with us on the podcast. I hope you learned something. Don't click the link and the IRS won't email you about your taxes. So don't fall victim to those scams that are out there. And don't forget to file your taxes. We will have another episode for you next week. At that point, I believe my co-host, Chris McKee, will be back in studio. In the meantime, feel free to email us any of your feedback or story ideas. We've appreciated the ones that have come in in the last few weeks. Keep them coming. I'm at gabrielle.burkhardt at krqe.com via email and gburknm on social media. Thank you all for listening.